Uh, This morning, Deuteronomy chapter 29, we're going to read verses 1 through uh, 28, up to the last verse of chapter 29. We'll save that for next time. So Deuteronomy 29, verses 1 through 28. Here we read about God renewing his covenant with the Israelites on the plains of Moab. Let's hear the word of the Lord. These are the words of the covenant that the Lord commanded Moses to make with the people of Israel in the land of Moab, besides the covenant that he had made with them at Horeb. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs and those great wonders. But this day, the Lord has not, but to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you, and your sandals have not worn off your feet. You have not eaten bread, and you have not drunk wine or strong drink, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. And when you come to this place, Sion, the king of Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, came out against us to battle. But we defeated them. We took their land and gave it for an inheritance to the Reubenites, Gadites, the half-tribe of Manassites. Therefore, keep the words of this covenant and do them, that you may prosper in all that you do. You are standing today, all of you, before the Lord your God, the heads of your tribes, your elders and your officers, all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, and the sojourner who is in your camp, from the one who chops your wood to the one who draws your water, so that you may enter into the sworn covenant of the Lord your God, which the Lord your God is making with you today, that he may establish you today as his people, and that he may be your God as he promised you, and as he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob." It is not with you alone that I am making this sworn covenant, but with whoever is standing here with us today before the Lord our God and with whoever is not here with us today. You know how we lived in the land of Egypt and how we came through the midst of the nations through which you passed. And you have seen their detestable things, their idols of wood and stone, of silver and gold, which were among them. Beware lest there be among you a man or woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware, lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit, one who, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. 
This will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. The Lord will not be willing to forgive him, but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will smoke against that man. And the curses written in this book will settle upon him and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. And the Lord will single him out from all the tribes of Israel for calamity in accordance with all the curses of the covenant written in this book of the law. And the next generation, your children who rise up after you and the foreigner who comes from a far land will say, when they see the afflictions of that land and the sicknesses with which the Lord has made it sick, the whole land burned with brimstone and salt, nothing sown and nothing growing where no plant can sprout, an overthrow like that of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and wrath. All the nations will say, why has the Lord done this to this land? What caused the heat of this great anger? Then people will say, it is because they abandoned the covenant of the Lord, the God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt and went and served other gods and worshiped them, gods whom they had not known and whom he had not allotted to them. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against this land, bringing upon it all the curses written in this book. And the Lord uprooted them from their land in anger and fury and great wrath and cast them into another land as they are this day. I want to begin this morning with a simple question. Uh, How does spiritual revitalization happen? How does spiritual renewal come to God's people. I think a lot of people today often go looking for it in what's called mountaintop experiences. You know, whether it's a conference or maybe a camp or something like that. And certainly God can use those experiences for our good. But if your experience is like mine, it's probably the case that when you got home, you discovered that not a whole lot had changed. So again, how can spiritual renewal and revitalization happen? Better yet, how does God renew his covenant with his people? I said this before, that the entire book of Deuteronomy is a covenant renewal document. You're getting tired of hearing that from me. It's a book designed to revitalize God's people from generation to generation. But this this theme of covenant renewal is particularly prominent here in Deuteronomy 29, as we see in the very first verse. These are the words of the covenant that the Lord commanded Moses to make with the people of Israel in the land of Moab, besides the covenant that he had made with them at Horeb, Horeb being another name for Mount Sinai. This is covenant renewal. It's not a new covenant. It's God renewing his covenant relationship with another generation. The generation of the Israelites that had come out of Egypt and received the law at Horeb, at Mount Sinai, um, had died in the wilderness. And now a new generation was about to go and enter into the promised land. 
But before crossing the Jordan River, Moses prepares them, not only with this series of sermons contained in the book of Deuteronomy, but also by renewing the covenant in at least three ways that I want to reflect on this morning. So to avoid becoming that root spoken of in this passage, to avoid becoming that root that bears poisonous and bitter fruit, which is the poisonous and bitter fruit of covenant betrayal, Deuteronomy 29 spells out three roots for bearing the sweet and good fruit of covenant faithfulness. All right, so here are the three things, and you'll find them outlined in your bulletin. Um, Three things for us to be continually renewed. First, covenant consciousness, and we'll unpack what I mean by that in verses 2 through 9. Second, covenant community, verses 10 through 15. And then third, covenant warning in verses 16 through 28. So here are are three necessities, three hallmarks of genuine renewal. Knowing who we are and who our God is, being gathered together as a part of his covenant community in God's presence, and yes, also hearing God's warnings against covenant betrayal. So let's, let's look at these three roots of covenant renewal and, and how all three continue to apply to the spiritual revitalization of God's people today. Uh, in, in verses 2 through 9, Israel is once again reminded of their story. Moses never tires of retelling the story of God's redeeming grace. He, he repeats, think about it, how many times, now that we've made it to chapter 29, how many times has Moses already said, remember what God has done, has done for you in bringing you out of bondage and slavery in Egypt to this place. He repeats the good news of what God has done again and again and again because God's people need to know and understand where they've come from, what God has done for them, and who they now are because of what God has done for them in his grace. And if we just directly take this to think about what it means for us, this is why when we gather together in this context, we want the good news of Jesus Christ to be heard and sung and read and, uh, and, and proclaimed again and again and again. This is, this is a root of all true covenant renewal and spiritual revitalization. You do not have spiritual renewal or revival even or um, vitality apart from this root. Hearing the good news, you see, is not only how we get saved. Hearing the good news is the primary means by which we are sanctified. It's how we grow as Christians. Now, you probably noticed in the middle of this reminder a surprising statement. Moses says something we should not fail to notice in verse 4. 
while reminding them of God's mighty deeds. Did you notice that Moses stuck in there? But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. And so as we hear this story rehearsed yet again, we might be tempted to find this a little bit repetitive. How many times has Moses told the story of God's amazing grace in Deuteronomy alone? But verse 4 tells us a reason for the repetition. It is not mere mental recall or the kind of clarity that comes in hindsight or retrospect that gives God's people the understanding that we are called to live by. Simply remembering mentally is not what's in view here. It's not enough to learn from the story, to abide in the story, to live in this story is a blessing that only God can give. Mere repetition will not do it if Israel is to see and hear and understand God must give it. That's a that's something to reflect on. The mercy and the miracles of the Exodus, we would I think all agree should have taught the people the wisdom of giving themselves unreservedly and wholeheartedly over to this God in covenant devotion to to such a great and awesome and mighty and gracious God. But Moses is reminding the people here, even the simplest spiritual understanding is beyond the perception of the sinner unless the Spirit of God grants hearing and sight and understanding as a gift. Just last week, I was, I was with a group of other pastors throughout our area and had a great time with them and lots of, lots of really good discussion. But when one of them heard that I was a Presbyterian pastor, he said something to the effect, oh, you are those guys who, who, who believe in divine sovereignty. And he said it like it's a bad thing, like it's a, like it's a negative thing. And I, I said to him, no, 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 this is supremely good. It's a supremely good thing for us, given the fact of just how blind and deaf and dull we are left to ourselves in our sin. It takes nothing less than God himself giving us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to understand to ever be renewed. The people of Israel are the quintessential example of this in Scripture. They think about it. Think of their, think of their story. They, they lived for 40 years by the supernatural provision of God in the wilderness. They saw the mighty power of God manifested in Egypt. They walked through walls of water. <laughs> they ate food from heaven. They drank from the rock. They were led by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Again, they lived by the supernatural provision of God for, for 40 years 
in the wilderness. And yet, Moses says, many of them still did not see with the eyes of faith. What does that mean, though? What does it mean in the context of Deuteronomy 29 to see with the eyes of faith? Verse 9 calls for obedience in, in these terms. Therefore, keep the words of this covenant and do them that you may prosper in all that you do. Now, literally, the word prosper there means something like live wisely, live prudently. All right, so to keep the words of the covenant and live wisely. That's what's being said here. And verse 4 is saying this is what had not yet been given. A faith perception that, that sees who they are. That they are former slaves. A faith perception that sees who this God is. A mighty God of grace. And the meaning of all of these experiences. What is the meaning of the plagues of Egypt? What is the meaning of passing through the Red Sea and being baptized? What is the meaning of all of this food coming down from heaven above? The meaning of their story. Right? They needed the faith that is set on the Lord himself and his word and his works. Nothing less than a faith that truly hears God's word, understands it, and knows what it means for life. It is, it is nothing less than a way of life that is being described here in Deuteronomy 29. A life shaped by the God of covenant grace and his covenant word. Israel is summoned to, but have not yet been given, a covenantal consciousness in every aspect of their lives. And as they were supposed to have done for the last 40 years, well, now they are about to enter Canaan. And at, at every single point of life, they are to think of themselves with the understanding of faith. The faith that knows who they are, who God is, who they now are by grace. They must be attentive to who they are, who God is, what God has done, and the meaning of their story as the determining reality of their lives. See, God's people must identify in the deepest, fullest, most robust sense possible with this story. Israel is being reminded of it again and again and again. They've been urged, do not forget, do not forget. They've been commanded to think through the story and what it means for their lives. So brothers and sisters, this is, this is the same for us, right? The God that we confess is the God who in history has acted for us. Right? The story of Jesus' life and death and resurrection and return in glory is our story. Right? He, he lived for me. He died for me. He, he rose for me. He's coming again for, for us. It is it's more than, than knowing what has happened. It is more than mental recall. It is identifying ourselves with Jesus and all that he has done for us. We were redeemed by the blood of Christ. We were raised with Christ to walk in newness of life. We are seated with him in the heavenly 
places. We will be raised with him in glory. This is what covenant consciousness looks like. This is what covenant faith does. Shapes our entire lives so that we live wisely because we know who we are by God's unmerited grace. So I just want to ask you this morning, does the story of God's grace define your life? Does it it make a real tangible difference Monday through Saturday? All seven days of the week. Is, is, Is the reality of your being a member of God's covenant community the defining reality of your life? If not, we need to reorder our priorities. We need to know who we are, what our God has done for us, and who we are now because of his grace. This is covenant faith, a faith that comes from God, and a faith that makes God's covenant our way of life. And this takes us to the second root of all true covenant renewal, and that is covenant community. You see, in verses 10 through 15, Moses speaks to all of the people as they are gathered together before the Lord. So this is, we need to appreciate this. This is one of the key fundamental ways that God renews his people by gathering them together in his presence and by speaking his covenant word to them. See, that, see, that's what's happening here in this passage. God assembling together the entire covenant community. And notice who's there. Men, women, leaders, children, common laborers, sojourners. In other words, no one is left out because they are all a part of God's covenant community. See how inclusive this, this is? Men and women, young and old, sojourners, all together belong and are called together to hear God's word. This is, this is God's assembly. This is the church that we're talking about. Here's one of the primary roots then of all true covenant renewal, of all true spiritual revitalization. Again, how are we renewed? How are we formed more and more into the covenant people of God that he calls us to be? Part of the answer of this passage is by being gathered together as the assembly of God's people, standing before the Lord God Almighty to hear his word once again. This is how God renews his covenant. And this is how God renews us. And, you know, in a culture that is all about equity and inclusion, I can't help but draw attention to this. Because in reality, we live in a culture that is full of inequities and exclusiveness, right? Notice in contrast to the inclusivism of Deuteronomy 29, that no secular ideology can touch this. No secular ideology can bring about this kind of reality, a gathering together of diverse people, 
young and old, men and women, leaders and common laborers, and even sojourners, standing side by side as equals before the Lord. And this is one of the things that Dr. Luke celebrates throughout the book of Acts as he tells the missionary stories of the Apostle Paul as he goes into the Roman Empire proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And you have all of these social hierarchies. You have those who belong and those who do not belong. You have those in positions of power and those who are weak. And who is it that's being brought into the covenant community of the New Testament church? It's everyone who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, regardless of social status. And before the Lord, they stand before the Lord as equals. Look at what Moses says in verse 10. You are standing today, all of you, before the Lord your God. This is the key to all true community. I'll go as far to say as you cannot enjoy true community apart from God whose glorious presence is the great leveler, the great equalizer of all people. You take away his grace, you take away his presence, and you lose ground for true community. So standing before the Lord, all of you, this is the key. When you are standing before the Lord your God, What's the Bible say? Well, the high are brought low and the low are lifted up. This is what flattens out every other distinction making true community possible. Before God, we are all equally needy, equally dependent. There's no distinction, but apart from his glorious presence at the center, what happens? Well, things, things fall apart, don't they? And so part of the picture here of, of Covenant community is of a diverse group of people standing together before the Lord as his people. That's a biblical picture, and it's a glorious picture, isn't it? A biblical picture of the church of Jesus Christ. The ground is level, friends, when we stand in God's presence. That is part of the fundamental message of the Lord's Supper We don't have time to go there today, but that's something for you to think about later on. And the community that lives together like this, the community that comes together like this, standing before the Lord, will be revitalized, will be renewed. Notice that according to the end of this section, the inclusivity and solidarity of this covenant community even extends to future generations. The Lord says in verse 14, It is not with you alone that I am making this sworn covenant, but with whoever is standing here with us today before the Lord our God, and with whoever is not here with us today. As Moses is about to die, he anticipates God's work of covenant renewal among future generations yet unborn. And so I want to say in, in passing, I could have said it a few moments ago when we were talking about young and old being gathered together, but I want to say to our young people today, do not ever buy the message that church is for grown-ups, that church is only for adults, that you, you ought to be doing something else until you've come of age. No, you, you are a part of the covenant community, and God's covenant is for you. 
His promises are yours. They, they've been given to you. It's part of the reason you've been, you've been baptized. You've been signed and sealed as a member of God's covenant community. And he's made that covenant with you. And so we all need to understand, regardless of our age, that God calls us to, to covenant faith, to see the story of Jesus as our story. And this passage should also lead us to pray that God would continue to renew his covenant among us, even with those who are not here today, with future generations. May Trinity Presbyterian Church be a place where God's people are gathered as a covenant community before the Lord to be renewed by his spirit and his covenant word. That should be a routine prayer for us, brothers and sisters. This brings us to the, to the third root of covenant renewal, <clears throat> which is covenant warning. I think it's striking that you know, the, the radical, this radically inclusive community that we've just talked about in verses 10 through 15 is not possible without the maintenance of of radically exclusive commitment to the Lord. Do you see that? Everybody's in, but then there are these strict warnings. It's striking that Deuteronomy includes this inclusive language. We've seen it again and again and again throughout Deuteronomy, right? Men and women, young and old, widows, sojourners, and so forth. And yet Deuteronomy also contains commands to purge the evil that is among you. Again and again, this radically inclusive community is commanded to maintain a radically exclusive commitment to the Lord. And so in verses 16 through 19, Moses warns the people to be on guard against the threat of idolatry wherever it may come from. Look at verse 18. He says, Beware lest... There be among you a man or woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations. You know, I know this is a generalization, but I think there's some truth to it. When we think about folks who are, you know, more conservative minded, they tend to be focused on the individual. Right? And then uh, there's an, the, another group of people. Uh, tend to focus on systems and groups and the dynamics of a clan or a community. And sometimes we can get, you know, we can focus on one to the exclusion of the other. But do you see the balance of this passage when it comes to covenant warning? We have to be mindful of both. The threat can come from an individual or it can come from a group. It could come from an entire tribe or clan. And we need to be aware of both. Spiritual watchfulness must be holistic, not reductionistic. To be spiritually watchful, we must be alert to both the individual and corporate dynamics of sin. That's what Moses is warning about here. And in the second half of verses 18 through 19, there's an important warning that we, we, ought, to, we ought to heed. It says, beware lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. One who, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, 
blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. This will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. This private conversation within someone's own heart has not only individual, but community ramifications, sweeping ramifications, you might say. This is the great lie, of course, that, that Satan himself told the woman in the beginning. He convinced her that it was safe and good to sin. That it was wise to disobey God. That's what the serpent did. That's, that's really the line of attack here as well. The point of invasion from the evil one he, he seeks to convince us that it is really safe to sin. You will not surely die. This is the root bearing poisonous fruit leading to destruction. So we need to learn how to recognize this voice whenever we hear it, whether it's coming from within or from without. This message, it's safe to sin. Or this, this voice that bombards us constantly through cultural megaphones. It is safe to sin. Be yourself. You are your desires. Do whatever you want. Don't let anyone hinder you. You're, you're the boss. You do you. Follow your feelings. The voice that says those kind of things is like the warm water that feels good at first but brings the frog to boil. Scripture says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And friends, that's, that's why God's fierce warnings are actually essential to all true spiritual renewal and revitalization. Now, this is probably not what people would typically think today. If you... I was just driving down the road the other day and saw a church sign that said revival and then, you know, had the date. My, my guess is the speaker is not going to talk about the fury of God's wrath. <laughs> right? If you hear a sermon on spiritual renew, renewal, you, you don't expect to hear this. Right? This warning so, sounding off the siren of, you know, against the message, it's safe to sin. But we need to hear it. We need to hear this warning that that we might not trust in self-blessing or that self-assuring voice that speaks from within. We must listen to the voice that has broken in and speaks from above. True blessing, real assurance of salvation, and eternal life are on a free offer to those who repent and believe the gospel. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But Moses says, those who bless themselves <coughs> in their stubborn refusal to repent, relinquish this blessing and will not be forgiven. Verses 20 and 21, Moses says, the Lord will not be willing to forgive him but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will smoke against that man 
and the curses written in this book will settle upon him, and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven, and the Lord will single him out from all the tribes of Israel for calamity in accordance with all the curses of the covenant written in the book of this law. Friends, we need this kind of warning to be renewed. It is necessary for spiritual revitalization. We need it. But let me, let me just say a pastoral word here because I, I understand not everyone in this room has been built temperamentally the same. And not everyone is experientially in the same place. The reality is some of you need tough love. Some of you need tough love from the Lord. You need to be woken up to the very real danger of turning your back on God and serving idols. Some of us need that. But there are others here whose, whose minds are, are racing all of the time. And you feel like you have to fight tooth and nail for the smallest ounce of assurance. You continually rehearse your sins. And though you strive to seek the Lord and you, you constantly, nevertheless, you, you hear the lie. There's no forgiveness for you. God doesn't, God doesn't love someone like you. There's no hope. You're a lost cause. There's, there isn't life. There isn't promise of salvation for someone like you. So I, I want to I encourage us all here this morning. I want to encourage you to know yourself. Know where you are temperamentally and experientially. Are you someone who is in a pattern of brazenly telling yourself, I'm okay. I can keep doing this. I can, I can keep living out these dark deeds in the dark. It's all right, I'm good. Or are you someone who is giving way to the temptation of listening to a false message that there is no grace for someone like you. There's no salvation for someone like you. Are you looking? Are you looking away from yourself? And understand, or understand that who you are is not how you feel. Who you are is not even what your brain is telling you on a daily basis. Who you are is your identity in Christ. So know yourself. Know yourself. It's, it's an important part of applying this passage to our lives. But God is gracious to give this warning to his covenant people before it's too late. Right? God is gracious to warn us so, so that we might, we might turn away from the folly of blessing and assuring ourselves and looking to him alone for blessing. You know, whenever, whenever the pastor during our assembly together, whenever the pastor pronounces the assurance of pardon taken from God's word in a corporate gathering like this, you are not blessing yourself by receiving that. You are not self-assuring yourself. Yeah, I can, I can do whatever I want. I'm good. No, with open hands, you are receiving God's blessing from his word. 
And I want to encourage you to receive that and believe it. Or in a moment when, when the benediction will be announced. Again, that is not an act of self-blessing, isn't it? It's one of the reasons that some people choose to open their hands to receive the benediction. Because we are reaching out with empty hands to receive God's blessing. It reminds us, in that simple act, do not be self-assured, but be assured by the truth of the gospel that there is forgiveness of sins and there is renewal by repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we need your, your Holy Spirit to search the deep places of our lives. And we pray that you would help us to search and test ourselves. And I pray that as we do so, as we search our hearts, that we would find ourselves in Christ and know that every spiritual blessing that he has secured for his people by his full and faithful obedience and his bearing the curse is now fully and freely given to us. We thank you for that great gift, and we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.